Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Hey, this is Brennan from the Ghost Story Guys. Before we get started, I wanted to take a minute to acknowledge the massive loss that our little podcasting community has suffered. That is, of course, the passing of Dan from Real Life Ghost Stories. Dan was a young guy. He was younger than I am, and to call this a fucking tragedy doesn't even come close to covering it. The episode you're about to hear was recorded prior to Dan's passing, so you won't hear me and Paul talk about it on the show itself, but please know that me and him and Luke and Anthony and Sarah are all united in sending our best wishes to Emma, Dan's wife, and to their extended families. To everyone else, take care of each other. It's been a hard, hard year, man. And the only thing we can be sure of is that our time on this planet is limited. And the only thing that makes it worth living is loving each other. So if there's someone you care about, grab them. Tell them you love them. And if we string together enough moments like that, we'll be able to get through this and whatever else life throws at us in the years to come. your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Storr. I'm Paul Bestel. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 112. And we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. How are you, Paul? I'm very well. I'm still alive after an exciting week on the streets of Sheffield. How's yourself? I'm tired for reasons I'll explain later, but I think really before we get to ghosts and, and spooks and inspectors, we really need to know about the great Sheffield knife fight of 2021. Well, the latest one, yes. Oh, yeah, okay, sorry. Yeah, the, the most recent, uh, the, the June, this week in June. <laughs> Yeah, the, the Wednesday knife fight, yeah. There, there um, we go. Yeah, so uh, where I work, I work in the city centre, and I, where I normally walk for my sandwich is is about about a five-minute walk. Um, and my uh, my normal lunchtime trip, because I'm going into the office a couple of days a week, it's also reaffirmed why I'm really glad I work from home most of the time these days, um, <laughs> was, uh, was, was rudely interrupted by the police who had taped off where I normally walk for a crime scene because I'd missed a mass brawl outside the Crucible Theatre. 
where there'd been a, a knife and iron bar fight at half past 12 in the afternoon. When else are you going to have it, Paul? You can't have it at nighttime because then you can't see each other as well. Well, Sheffield is quite well lit, so I don't think that's oh, okay. a, a valid excuse. Maybe they had, to, they had to book the space. Marching band at five, a hate crime at eight, we'll have nice yes. fight at noon. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, um, as, as I often say to my partner, who's not from Sheffield, before she moved to Sheffield, that Sheffield was fine as it was the safest large city in Sheffield. And since we've moved, we, we had two shootings around the corner from where we used to live, <laughs> um, a knife fight around the corner, uh, three baraclavered men smashed a taxi up four doors down from where we lived and other such incidents. So uh, at the minute, uh, my stock in regards to the safety of locations in, in Britain is at an all-time low. <laughs> As for me, I, I don't talk too much about the stuff on the show usually, but um, Nikki's been dealing with some health issues this year and they recently culminated in her having to have surgery uh, last week. And she was in hospital for three days. And, um, she's home now, but last night, uh, you know, she, she's got, um, a stent in and, uh, as part of the surgery and it, it'll come out in a couple months. But if anyone's ever had one of these things, you know, they can be quite uncomfortable, mm. you know, like you'll be fine and then something will shift and you are not fine. And it's like a, the sharp internal pain that just, you can't really do fuck all about. You just got to yeah. hope that whatever shifted shifts back eventually. And so last night she was just in a lot of pain. And, um, finally managed to find a comfortable sleeping position in the bed. And this, this took some time and a number of hot water bottles and, uh, doses of, shall we say, medicated edibles. <laughs> yes. <laughs> of course, when it came time for me to go to bed, well, there's, I'm not going to get in the bed cause she's, she just found the single one place she's comfortable. Mm. And if I, and I'm not a light person, Paul, if I get into bed, things are going to move. And the last <laughs> thing I wanted to do. So I thought, okay, I'm going to sleep. So I, I slept on the couch till about five in the morning. And now I like sleeping on the couch to a certain degree. You know, I usually tend to fall asleep there most nights for like the first hour or two. And then I go to bed, but sleeping on there till five, it is not exactly the way to have the most restful sleep of your life. And so, uh, yeah, it was, I am, I am, I'm pretty groggy today. I, I will say, but it is, it's nice to have her home because those three days she was in hospital. It was a sad state of affairs around here. Let me tell you. <laughs> Were you watching too much television? I was walking around like Charles Foster Kane in Xanadu. <laughs> just imagining in my head these heavy footfalls echoing in the empty halls. And really, I'm just wandering around our little two-bedroom apartment being a big dramatic asshole. But uh, <laughs> I had pizza the first night. And then the third night, some friends had me over. And we, we you know, we, we, we got high. And, and uh, I, later that night, I came home and I just... Didn't care. I think it was like 11 o'clock at night. I'm like, well, I want chicken wings. And so 11 o'clock at night, Panago <laughs> delivered me chicken wings. <laughs> and that's not something I ordinarily do, but it was just, fuck it, nothing matters. Yep, 1130, hot wings, let's do this. <laughs> so it's... Uh... <laughs> yeah, Julie, Julie always gets concerned because she knows when I'm in the mood for it because she'll, she'll see me firing up the Disney Plus and she's like, oh God, not the Avengers again. <laughs> I, when you say in the mood for it. <laughs> for feeding things that enjoy me, shall we say. Ah, uh, I see. Okay. Okay. I see. Yes. <laughs> Either that or 80s music and she's like, right, I'm going to bed. <laughs> All right. So you've learned uncomfortable truths about uh, both me and Paul and our relationships. 
<laughs> and you, you've heard me for a very brief second think that when Paul wants to get up to the business with his lady love, he turns on Avengers. I, <laughs> I misunderstood and I was very confused for just a moment. But yeah, yeah. Put the Captain America suit on. <laughs> I knew Polish it. Polish my shield. We're away. <laughs> Well, that's the last I want to hear about polishing your shield. Not on this show, <laughs> my friend. Not on this show. <laughs> All right. So, as always, we have a number of terrifying tales to tell you. Some of them are supplied by our own listeners. And if you want to send in yours, you can find us at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Again, that's just ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Before I get too carried away, I just realized we have not yet thanked our patrons. This one's for the patrons. That's right, patrons. Teamwork makes the dream work. And we couldn't make this particular dream without you guys. If you want to learn how to join that team, listen to the end of the show. We'll tell you all about it. But for now, we'd like to thank our latest patrons. And they are... Macho Sancho. Aaron Knight. Salcido Paranormal. Rebecca Griffin. Caitlin Savo. Peter Guns 08.5 Connie R. Reader Alyssa Morrow Misty Shearer Melanie Gilbreth Joe Briggs Thank you so, so much, all of you from the bottom of, of our terrible, terrible hearts. Again, we couldn't make the show without you, and we cannot ever properly tell you how much we appreciate it. All right, now we're going to take a quick break and be right back. Welcome back. Before we get into tonight's stories, I wanted to take a quick look at some listener mail, which, uh, because we've had guests on the last two shows, we just, we haven't really had a chance to do that. So, uh, yeah. So our first message is from Sakita and Sakita says, I just wanted to drop you a message saying, thank you for your podcast. I look forward to hearing them. The 2021 edition has been impressive. You guys are awesome. I wish you all the best. It's like listening to two friends just chatting. Reminds me of what radio used to be like. God bless you both. Cheers, Sakita. And uh, thank you so, so much. And, and I really hope I didn't mess up your name there. That's really nice to hear. And, and, and it's a massive compliment for me, especially because I love radio. Mm. And so uh, that, that's, that's nice to hear. This next one is from Dream Ann. My family and I live in San Diego and decided one day to visit the Whaley house. My mom was showing me how her grandma had taught her to take photos, which meant she took a million of them. She said she wanted to see if she could catch an orb or something. At the Whaley house, nothing happened. It was months later that things got weird. I tried to mention the trip to my mom, and she looked at me funny. She said we've never been there. She wasn't kidding. I asked my dad. He said we had gone. He remembered. I asked my brother. He also had no memory of going. It became a family fight. I tried to find the photos she had taken. They were corrupt. All of them. Mmm. I know there, there's a story I tell in, in my book, A Strange Little Place, available everywhere. Fine books, <laughs> fine books are sold. It's been a while, Paul. Oof. It is. It, every time you say it, it makes me realize I need to write one, just so I can <laughs> interject. You really do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, will, I will read that book. I won't buy it. I'll get it from the library, but I will read. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, borrow, I'll borrow a copy. Thanks. That's right. <laughs> but um, there was a family who had a really strange collective experience. 
And by and large, you know, they, this, it was a little different. They, they, they remembered it, but only when really prompted. Mm. It was one of those things that would just kind of fade away unless someone else kind of said, hey, do you remember X? And it would, they would slowly dredge up from, from the muck of their memories. But uh, this sounds very different. Yeah. I mean, the Whaley House is obviously infamous. Any, any television paranormal show worth its salt has, has spent a night shouting at <laughs> ghosts at the Whaley House, San Diego's <laughs> most famous haunted location. Um, and also, uh, Regis Philbin, the famous TV host, had a terrifying paranormal encounter there that convinced him that ghosts were real. Really? Yeah. What, uh, what, what happened? Uh, apparently, he met a female ghost there and changed his opinion from being a skeptic to a full-on believer from that point. I think it happened in the 60s. Oh, shit. Okay. But, um, yeah, the Whaley House, there's obviously, it's one of those where there's there could be, I think, six of the family died in the house. One of them sadly killed herself, the daughter of Virginia, oh, I think it was, because she ended up marrying a, a con artist. And when he realized he wasn't getting a dowry, he ran off. Ah, oh, Christ. Obviously, it was her fault, so she was publicly publicly shamed by the local community to the point that she um, took a gun and shot herself. Unbelievable! Don't don't shame people for allowing assholes into their lives, folks. Just 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 congratulate them on getting rid of those assholes. Yes, and move yes. on with your lives. Definitely, that shit drives me nuts. I think I've said this before, but my grandmother uh, on my mum's side, she was ostracized by her family. Partially because she divorced her physically abusive husband, my asshole grandfather. Mm. And they just said, well, divorce, that, that's, you know, we're Italians. Come on. If you make a mistake, you live with it until it gives you cancer. <laughs> You've made a bad decision and you must suffer for it for the rest of your life. Yep. And then when you die, you're going to go to hell because you were dissatisfied with your life. How dare you? Right? What a great system we've got. Um, <laughs> fuck. That's stupid. Yes. Thank goodness we, we seem to be in the 21st century these days. Well, it depends on where you live, but yeah, it, it's, we're, we're closer <laughs> to it than we've ever been. Yes. This next message is from Carl, and Carl says, Your listener's Twitter DM about the dream with your maternal grandmother was interesting to me because it made me think of the Flannel Man accounts that are out there. I don't know if you've ever heard Timothy Renner's podcast, Strange Familiars, but he's mm. had all these listeners call in with stories of seeming out of place, sometimes frankly paranormal guys dressed in flannel shirts. Sometimes these guys are bedroom invaders, sometimes people see them in dreams, or they just pop up in odd places, but they're always in flannel and sometimes look like lumberjacks. I find it interesting that the Brennan stand-in was dressed in flannel in the dream. It may just be coincidental, but I still found it interesting with the paranormal connection and, and the dream. Aside from that, I just want to say that I love the show and Paul is a first-rate co-host. Well, you're absolutely right, Carl. He absolutely is. Thank you. And, oh, of course. A bit worried here. There's a lot of people being nice about me, so I don't know what you're after, but it's working. <laughs> But yeah, Timothy's show is amazing. I, I've listened to uh, Tim's podcast for, for quite a long time. And uh, some of these flannel man encounters are very odd. So a friend of mine, when she has a fever really badly, like when she's yeah. really unwell, she sees a man, I believe she's described him as kind of vaguely, vaguely South Asian looking. Wearing, uh, yeah, like a, a flannel shirt. And he seems mm. to look over, like to watch over her. Mm. And so that was sort of my experience with these kinds of things. But uh, can you tell me a little bit about some of these other encounters? Yeah. I mean, they're essentially people having unusual encounters where they seem to run into uh, usually a male figure wearing a red 
flannel shirt in a variety of situations, either in their bedrooms, in their homes. There's been encounters where people have been walking through the woods and randomly seen somebody dressed like this. So it's, it's a very peculiar paranormal phenomenon because it doesn't seem to sort of drift into anything else because is it, uh, is it some kind of interdimensional situation? Is it a paranormal encounter? And if it is a paranormal encounter, why are so many people having the same one all over the world? Yeah. So it's a very interesting subject and, and, and anybody that's not listened to uh, Timothy's show should give it a go because there are some very peculiar and creepy ones. I think one of the ones that always gives me the chills is, is somebody who was walking through the woods and then all of a sudden they come across this flannel man uh, just, you know, somewhere where somebody dressed like that shouldn't be. It's just your average serial killer coming back from hiding a body, just wants some privacy. <laughs> Absolutely. Very true. Well, you never know what you might stumble across in the woods. I know when Micah Hanks told a story about um, going for a walk with a, with a partner once and they were going out wandering in the woods somewhere and he suddenly looked somewhere and he saw somebody dressed in camo and as soon as this person realised that Micah had seen him, he ducked down. Jesus. And he went, right, let's go. <laughs> yep. Let's get out of here. <laughs> Holy Christ. Fuck that shit. <laughs> that reminds me of a story I heard from a, a fellow I know. He was passing through um, this ghost town called Cataman, mm. just west of uh, Edmonton, Alberta. And there was no guy in camouflage, but him and his partner got out of their car and they were going to go explore this ghost town because it's, you know, it's a few miles off the highway. Mm. And both of them felt so heavily watched mm. and uncomfortable. They just got back in their car and, and both of them at the same time said, you know what? Maybe not. And, and they kept going, you know? And so, I mean, maybe there was a guy in camo. He's just, it was really good camo. <laughs> but, oh, that's, that's really interesting. As far as the flannel guys thing goes, I kind of wonder if, and I might've even said this on the show before because the, the flannel thing sounds familiar, but I kind of wonder if there is a particular color pattern that is actually being seen, but we can't quite process. And so mm. flannel kind of becomes the closest we can assign to it. You know, like, I don't know if there's, if you have know, something to do with the eye. I mean, obviously if it's happening in a dream, then it's, it's not as, as relevant. But even then I just wonder if there's an issue where we don't have the visual vocabulary to, again, to describe exactly what, what color we're seeing, what, what, um, yeah. you know, like what pattern we're seeing. If there's something to do with the clothes these people are wearing, I mean, uh, maybe they're time travelers. Those are time travel vests. They look like flannel to us, but they're actually festooned with crystals or something. I mean, who, who knows, right? It's, uh, it, it, I do wonder sometimes what, if, if, if the flannel is something else and that's just our best stab at interpreting it. Yeah. As far as I'm aware, the majority of them are wearing red flannel. Christ, I, I forget flannel comes in other colors. I, I just think red flannel, but... Um, yeah. So I wonder if there's something about red on the color spectrum. And I feel like someone even emailed us once talking about this and I cannot remember who it was, but, um, I mean, I saw somebody wearing a red flannel shirt on my way home from work today, but, um, my main thought was why is he wearing a shirt when it's so warm? Well, there you go. Maybe he's one of these guys. Maybe. He's just some, some time traveler who's gone back to, uh, 2021 Sheffield to get some uh, inexpensive microbrew. Maybe he was on his way to a very good pub with his dog. So maybe. See? 
This is what it is. It, it's vacationers from the future. <laughs> Bringing their dogs along. Yeah, we fucked up the future so bad. The hipsters have moved in. The beer is, o- is way overpriced. The forests are full of assholes. So they got to go back in time wearing their, their <laughs> festooned red crystal vests to just go for a nice peaceful walk in the woods and get a reasonably priced, priced pint. And there we go. We've solved that mystery. Someone call, call, uh, call Mr. Renner. Tell right. him, tell him we have solved this mystery. Next up, we got to figure out this Mirror Man shit from Mirrors Among Us or uh, Monsters Among Us. <laughs> we are solving your problems, guys. You are very, very welcome. <laughs> All right. And uh, last thing we wanted to uh, to mention before we get to the stories was we have a listener named Rachel, and Rachel wrote in a while back to say that uh, she had just listened to the episode on Pennsylvania, and the uh, Centralia episode, bonus episode three. And she had had her own experiences with dreaming about a place that she's certain is real, but she can't seem to find. The reason it was sort of uh, uniquely interesting to me was the place that she's trying to find is a church on a bluff. Bluff is the word she specifically uses. And according to her, this church is on a bluff overlooking a town. And so she, I, I wrote her a message and she recently got back in touch with me because I had, uh, I on a patron only episode of the show where I sort of recount my entire strange connection to the, the state of Pennsylvania, I read her email out and a listener came back with a possible suggestion. It turned out not to be the case, but, um, Rachel included a little more detail. And, um, again, sorry, I, I got distracted there. The reason I'm, I'm uniquely interested in, in addition to it sort of being similar to my own situation of dreaming of a place that I was trying to find was that the place is, of course, it's on a bluff. And then, of course, in our Ghost in the Machine episode, back when we were in the old office, we would sometimes get these strange, almost like messages on the recordings that were not there when we were talking, but would turn up in the recording later. And I know some people seem to think we were dubbing them in and shit like that, but we weren't. I think it was just the building. Mm -hmm. But on that episode, one of the things that was said was, uh, it was a woman's voice that very much sounds like it's saying, bluff. And so I thought, well, they, you know, I tend to follow coincidences like that and see where they go. So I, I've been helping out Rachel out a little bit, just trying to help her sort of locate this. And so I wanted to read a bit of her updated message just to, because I want our audience to sort of uh, hear it and maybe someone will have some, some insight. But uh, Rachel says, the church I dreamed of looked out over a town. There were stairs nearby. The town, the church looked run down. And in following dreams, there was a large red building, like a hotel on a bluff or hill not far away, miles away, I think, with a big green lawn. When I began having the dream, which started somewhere in the early 2000s, I was in a car speeding on a back road to get to the bluff. I woke up panicked, knowing something bad was going to happen there, or had happened there. Then following dreams gave me more details. I was with some other people there looking for someone or something. I know it seems vague. And... Like I said, I, I just wanted to put that out there in case someone connects to it in any way. And I know some of our skeptical audience is, is just thinking, okay, Christ, just get to the stories. You know, dream, <laughs> dreams are head movies. Let's move on. Yes. But again, you know, I've had dreams of places that turned out to be real. Places which I could not have known were real um, at the time. And I recently also just interviewed uh, James Salcedo. He's an author of uh, a handful of books, and he also hosts his own podcast on the paranormal. And he was telling me his own stories about dreaming of places, which eventually he would walk into. And the, in many cases, they weren't, or in, in all three cases, I believe, 
it wasn't like it was some revelatory moment. You know, he wasn't dreaming of this big thing that was going to happen. He just dreamed of a very mundane but specific room that just a couple of years later he found himself walking into. So I'm, I'm, I'm always, yeah, I'm, I'm always curious when the subject of dreams come up, comes up rather. And if any of our listeners know of uh, anything connected to a, a church on a bluff overlooking a town or uh, anything like what you've heard here, please let us know. Ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, if, if we can, we'll read your message on the show and we'll pass it along to Rachel as well. So she may be able to come a little bit closer to solving this particular mystery. Definitely. And now on with the stories. The Phone Calls When I was 11, I received a phone call I still don't understand. It was three days before my uncle's 40th birthday. Two days before we were due to fly out to see him in Valencia, with my Aunt Charlotte. Around nine in the morning, I was woken up by the ringing of my phone, and when I picked it up to see who was calling, saw my uncle's name, Matthias. I didn't know why he was calling, but figured it couldn't be that important, so I declined the call, got dressed, and went outside. It was summer then, so I went to see a friend, and I had been sat with him for about an hour when I realized I'd left my phone at home. Right away, I told my buddy I had to go, but I would come back a little later in the day. Quickly, I got on my bike and drove home. My dad was at work, but my mom was home, and she told me that my phone had been ringing, but she hadn't answered it. She said they had called around 10 o'clock, so I figured it was dad because he had a break from work at that time. However, when I took the phone and saw who was calling, I was quite shocked. My dad only called me twice, but there were about 15 missed calls from my uncle. Not long after that, he called me again, and I decided it had to be important and picked up. This is what he said. Hey, Liam. How are you? Fine, Uncle, I replied, ignoring the fact that my name is actually Lucas. His voice was strange, but I can't explain exactly how. There was just something unusual about it. The conversation went on for a good 15 or 20 minutes, and at one point he asked, When are you coming to Valencia? I told him we were headed there the next day, to which he said, Great. The next day at 9 a.m., my phone rang. And guess who it was? My uncle calling at exactly the same time he had the day before. I remembered the dialogue from yesterday exactly, and he repeated it almost to the word, asking the same questions as the day before, but this time got my name right. When we were finishing the conversation, I asked him directly, Uncle, why did you call me Liam yesterday? How's that? He answered. I didn't call you yesterday. Our flight was fast approaching, so I ended the conversation and moved on. So far I haven't told anyone in my family this story, but... I still wonder who, if not him, had called me. And I'm going to level with you here, folks. I think the uncle was drunk. <laughs> I think there's a very simple solution to this mystery. Uh, it's, it's a strange one. If, if nothing else, it's peculiar that the same conversation would occur perhaps at the same time. So who knows? If it's not the uncle who just is drunk, which again, in all seriousness, I have this curse. I'll, I'll, I'll be frank, I call it a curse. Where I am the sort of person people love to call when they're drunk. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> no one ever fucking calls me when they're sober. <laughs> but when they're drunk, I'm the guy. And I have heard stories repeated. I don't know. 
dozens of times from different people. This is not the same person. And, and finally, one of them recently, I, I said, hey, you know what would be awesome is if you called me when you were sober sometime. And uh, yeah, that has yet to happen. <laughs> I always like it when you have a drunk, well, two things. Um, drunk conversations when you're not drunk make you realize just how boring you are when you're drunk. Oh, yes. And, um, and also the fact that if you're having a conversation and you are told the same thing several times in the same conversation, like you're stuck in some kind of time loop. It really is. Yeah. I mean, we talk about, you know, time slips all the time, but the ultimate time slip is talking to a drunk. <laughs> you start questioning your own sanity. Maybe I haven't heard this before. <laughs> Maybe I'm crazy. More than make-believe from Connie. I grew up in small town Kentucky in a Christian home with loving parents. I had several people I was close to pass away when I was young and death was hard to understand so I guess I became interested in it. I learned that everyone's spiritual journey is evolving and personal. When people told me they saw ghosts or talked to their dead relatives, I just thought they were nice, confused people. As children, we always told each other ghost stories to scare one another. It was a game, and I thought it was make-believe until we bought an old pre-Civil War home. The house was built in 1862. We bought it for cheap, and fixed things up as we could. It was the fall and cool outside. My husband and I and our three boys had been there a few months and I was not feeling well. We had a floor furnace in the den and the bedroom seemed cold so I slept on the couch where it was warm. In the middle of the night my husband woke up to what he thought was me standing at the foot of his bed calling his name. He looked at the clock. It was around 3am. When he looked back he realised the woman was shimmery and he could see through her. Her hair was clasped on top of her head. She turned and went to the closet. He jumped up and opened the closet door, switched on the light, but there was nothing there. Our three-year-old was constantly telling his brothers that he could see little boys sitting on the floor of their bedroom, rolling a ball to each other, but the older two boys couldn't see anything. My son would also take me to the original back door of the house and tell me he could see an old man in the glass of the door. He would describe the clothing that he was wearing, but when we asked him about his shoes, he would say, his feet are in water. I never understood that statement. There was a staircase in the front of the house in the foyer, and my son said that a policeman would walk back and forth there with his hands behind his back. He would say that this man was angry. He would tell me that little boys would run through the house, and when I asked him to describe them, would say they wore long white shirts. My oldest son, who was 14 or 15 years old at the time, would tell me that someone would bang on his bedroom door at night and yell for him to get out. I started to feel as if I was being watched. Doors would open, ceiling fans would spin. I would hear my name being called from downstairs when I was drifting off to sleep upstairs. Also, I would feel someone put their hands on the bed on each side of my head and put their face really close to mine while I was sleeping and I would wake to no one being there. We decided to sell the house, and it was purchased by a family that had originally grown up in our town. We only met to sign the contract, so we didn't really know each other, yet the wife called me two months later, and told me everything that my boys had told me. She said that her husband had seen a Civil War soldier walk through the foyer. Of course, my son described him as a policeman, because he didn't know what a soldier would wear. 
I did some research on the house and found out that a circus came to our town, Glasgow, Kentucky, in 1863. One of the circus members had cholera and was quarantined in a hotel in the town square. It spread and when people died they were quickly buried nearby. The town square is a high point of Glasgow and at the bottom of the square is an underground spring where Glasgow got its water supply. Rainwater would wash over the graves and into the spring, so a third of Glasgow was wiped out from cholera. The Presbyterian minister that lived in our house had three children to die within months of each other. One was an infant, a grade school aged child, and a teenager. They called it flux and dysentery. We now live in Louisville, Kentucky, and our old house in Glasgow has been on the market several times since. So thank you for sharing that, Connie. And she actually included a photo of the house, which she has said we're okay to post. So I will, uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes if you want to have a look at what this place looks like. Um, I got to say though, man, humanity was just so dumb. I was thinking about the cholera thing. Mm. And it's a wonder that as a species, we have survived this long, Paul. It really is. <laughs> It's it, like, it's a, tra it's, well, it's a tragedy, but it's also just insane. Like this, oh, this guy died of a thing. Oh, we're going to put him in the ground. You know, we're near the spring. Oh, and everyone else is dying from this thing too. No, they just have the, they just have the woozles. It's fine. It, you know, give them a, a, a solution made of cocaine and syrup and they'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Education is, I mean, it, it, it is amazing when you look in history and the amount of times where situations like this, I mean, obviously people had no comprehension of, a viral epidemic and cholera is a prime example because it's an extremely virulent disease that uh, thankfully seems to be uh, wiped out in most of the world but once it takes a hold you know sa bad sanitation is usually a uh, an ingredient for uh, disaster especially when cholera is involved I, i'm gonna put it to you now there's a lot of folks in the present day who don't know much about dealing with epidemics i, I <laughs> a lot of folks seem to think that wishing will make it so well, one of the good things is now anybody that coughs, you will automatically go, ugh, they've got the plague. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. Which is bad because my, my wife, uh, Nikki, she has a chronic cough <laughs> and has for years. You know, they, they, can't, they can't quite pin down what it is. Mm. Uh, it just seems to run in the family. But um, yeah, so of course, this last 15 months, you know, everyone looks at her like she's... Uh, <laughs> typhoid Mary. Yeah, she, yeah, exactly. Like she's typhoid Mary. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park
A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. The Doppelganger, from David. I have been sensitive to paranormal occurrences since a very young age. Seeing strangers who disappear moments after seeing and hearing them, hearing breathing close to my ear, a hand running through my hair, or a tug on the shoulder. None of those things, though, have stunned me as much as this incident. What I experienced on Saturday evening, I have never experienced before. That day, my partner Jenny had been dealing with pandemic depression, and so to liven her mood, we decided to skinny dip in the hot tub. Hey, I mean, that would liven up my mood. We stayed there till sunset, drinking wine and listening to 30s blues from a Spotify playlist. That sounds like a great fucking time. Yeah. Besides a strange occurrence of the tub's jets turning on at full blast unexpectedly for a confusing 20 seconds, the evening had been pleasant, and Jenny's mood had temporarily found much-needed comfort and distraction. Three hours in the tub, and it was well past sunset, so we decided to take our party of two indoors. Jenny had to use a washroom, so I waited in the dining room for her to return, a refilled glass of wine ready for her. The dining room has two entrances, one leading to the washroom on the left, and one leading to the kitchen on the right, with a good view of the kitchen from where I was standing. Three minutes into waiting, I had started to put my clothes back on when I saw Jenny returning from the kitchen side. She was looking right into my eyes without any expression. The music was faint, only in the background, and still I didn't hear her footsteps on the wooden kitchen floor as she walked towards me. I saw her clear as day, with the light reflecting on her skin and in her eyes, and I smiled as I continued to put my clothes back on. She was two feet away when I heard footsteps from the other entrance. This alarmed me, as there were just the two of us in the house, and so I looked to my left and saw Jenny walking towards me with a grin. I looked back to my right, and all I saw was an empty kitchen. She saw my unease and walked up to me, where I stood dazed and confused. I touched her hand to confirm it was really her and told her what I'd seen. I don't know what would have happened if Jenny had taken longer in the wash, and I don't think I want to know. David, first off, thank you for sharing that with us, uh, because <laughs> doppelganger stories are fucking terrifying. And I really don't know. You know, I, I wrote this in my email back to him. I said that the thing that really bothers me about these experiences is that... <sighs> it kind of suggests they have agency, you know, you're, because it's a different, it's a different, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's a different expression on, on their face than was on Jenny's face when she came out. Yeah. You know, they're working under some kind of intelligence, but we don't know what or why. Yeah. I think the most disturbing thing about that is, is that whoever this thing was, was the fact that they were looking at him with no expression, just blank. Yes. Um, and then it's the reality kicks back in and shakes him to, to look somewhere else. And at that point, he realizes that that wasn't what Jenny was. I mean, that's I wonder, deeply, deeply unnerving. I wonder if there's a kind of um, hypnotic effect there. Mm. You know, because if you think about it, I feel like if, if I saw Nick coming towards me, but she was just looking at me strangely and... and she wasn't making any sound. I just feel like that would, that would ping as weird, but then maybe it wouldn't, mm. you know, like I, I remember when, um, when I had my, my last shadow person encounter, originally when I saw the figure step out of the hallway, 
in the dark at, at two in the morning, I thought it was Nikki. It took me like a couple seconds to register that it wasn't her. And it was the weirdest experience because it was like my eyes were trying to focus, but they couldn't. Mm. And then um, you know, all I saw was a shadow. It was just a shadow, but she'd recently cut her hair really short up top. And so because it was like frizzy up top, fuzzy up top, I thought it was her shadow. But the longer she stood there, the more I realized I couldn't see her. I couldn't see anyone. It was yeah. just a shadow. And that's when I, I won't get into the, the, the weeds of it, but because um, I've told the story a million times, but like my memory splits at that point. You know, so, so, I mean, but I spent a long time staring at her and I guess if she'd continued to approach me, I guess I would have continued to stare because I was, you know, you, you don't see the threat. Mm. You're just trying to parse what you're seeing. But be, again, because it's attached to someone you care about, maybe you just don't think of it the same way. Before we move on, I will say, David, um, enjoy youth where you can sit in a hot tub for three hours. <laughs> because if I do that now, I, I will die. <laughs> Heart of coal. My grandparents live in an old gabled house built sometime in the 1920s by a boss from the local coal mine. The house has its share of oddities, some of which I'd like to share. The first is that my sister and I were hanging out in the basement when we noticed classical music coming from a coal shaft. We deduced that the shaft led to the living room as we found a covered ash door in the bottom of an unused fireplace there. Deciding that the music had to have come from there, we tried to find a radio or CD player, but couldn't find anything. And then we remembered, with a start, that our parents and grandparents were out of the house. Of course, the music could have come from a neighbour's house, but we were still creeped out. After all, the walls in this old house are more than a foot thick, and you can't hear family members calling you if you're on different floors, never mind outside music. We mentioned the music to our grandparents, who denied having experienced any paranormal activity in the house. They never did try to explain the music, though. Then, at Christmas time, the entire family stayed in that house. I was a little relieved that there'd be so many people staying over, because creepy old houses feel less threatening when they're full of happy people on winter break. My sister and I were pushed from room to room as more relatives arrived. Eventually, we ended up sleeping on an old pull-out sofa in the den above the garage. Now, when I was a toddler, I had been totally scared of this room, which was in what once had been called the servants' quarters. We volunteered to sleep with my aunt's dogs, which were two friendly, stinky pit bulls. At 1am a few nights before Christmas, I woke up for some reason. Unable to fall back asleep, I got up to use the bathroom which required walking past the maid's room. Okay, this sounds really weird, but I'm 100% sure I wasn't dreaming. There was a light on in the maid's room. This was the only room that wasn't being occupied, as it was used by my grandparents as a storage room. They'd left the furniture in the bedroom and put a bunch of boxes on the bed and the dresser and on the floor. I knew that there wasn't anyone in there, so I decided someone had forgotten switch off the light and went to do it. But as I walked towards the door, it creaked open very slowly, and I heard the sound of extremely loud snoring. Now, there were quite a few toddlers sleeping in the house that night, so I assumed that some parent was trying to calm an infant in the unoccupied room, 
and had simply fallen asleep there. Not wanting to disturb them, I went to the bathroom and then returned to bed. When I passed the room a second time, the snoring was even more evident. The next morning, I asked if anyone had slept there the previous night. Every one of my many relatives denied it, and most were a bit weirded out by my story. I checked the maid's room, and sure enough, no boxes had been moved from the bed. Furthermore, the dust covering every surface was undisturbed. No one had pulled a prank at 1am to scare me or my sister. That had been my final mental result that some relative thinking to scare us had been pretending to snore in the room with the light on. Even weirder, the day after that, my cousin, a toddler at the time, and I were playing with trucks in the unfinished basement. Pointing at the walls, he said, Look at all the people! He was very adamant about what he'd seen. Why are those people looking at me? He asked. Get out. Get out now. God damn it. Yep, there we go. Yes. <laughs> God damn microphone was off. Yes. Leave. Just this is this is all the way bad. Yeah. You know, some of it sounds innocuous, some of it sounds like, oh well, you know, it's just maybe a time slip of some kind. Again, I I think that's kind of a lazy catch all, but it works here. But anytime there's enough of that shit going on, I just, especially with the underground stuff, you know, this mm. whole like Tommy knockers just referring noise up towards you. No, 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 just, just go. It reminds me of an incident that happened to me when I was a very small child and I was stopping at my grandparents as well. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night, wide awake, and my attention was drawn to the, to the wall next to the bed. There was like a window and then a dresser. And then there was a bed and a wall next to where the door was to get out onto the landing. Right. And I remember looking at this wall and seeing like um, like someone had, had got a projector and they were showing a film. And it was, it was lots of like gnomes just going about the business doing stuff. The fuck? And I watched it till the sun came up. And slowly as the sunlight came into the bedroom, the the... The images just faded away really slowly. Really? Mm -hmm. And I've never saw anything after that. It was never a, a house where we had strange occurrences. And it's always struck me. I mean, I must have been four, five. But the, and yet the memory has stuck with you that long. Oh, yeah, because it was just so weird. Because at first, I thought, it was yeah. a rainy night. I remember that. It was a rainy night. And I thought that what I was seeing was the moonlight reflecting through the rain on the window. And then it, the picture started to move and I realized I could see these gnomes because they were all wearing pointy hats. Weird. And what were they doing? You said they were Just going about their business. Like moving about with like wheelbarrows and running about and stuff. It was like I was looking into a village of gnomes <laughs> doing stuff. And did your perspective shift that you recall, or was it all kind of static and just people were moving in and out of frame? Uh, yeah, it was like that. It's like I was literally, somebody got a camera on, on a scene and things were coming in and out of the frame at the edge of the wall. Interesting. And nobody noticed me watching them. So I was just sat there transfixed till the sun came up and then it went away and I felt, and I went to sleep. The gnome watcher. <laughs> the Watcher of Gnomes. That is yeah. crazy. I've, I've never heard that story before. And that is so 
it's so interesting that there's this preponderance of, of reports of n- tiny creatures mm. in these kinds of visions. You know, like we, we've talked before about the machine elves when people have DMT experiences. Mm. Or my friend who, you know, uh, took some Percocets uh, when he was in the hospital, in the hospital, yes. <laughs> to be clear. Yeah. And um, his, he hallucinated tiny little elves tormenting him, basically. <laughs> um, they were, they, as I recall, they were in little, he described them as flying little biplanes, pulling <laughs> off strips of his skin. Yes, I remember you mentioning that. Yeah, yeah. And, and so it's so fascinating that there's this common thread of, of people seeing these things. And in your case, that it continued for so long. Oh yeah, it went on for hours. And did they seem to be aware of being observed? Not that I remember. That is so interesting. Yeah, it's like I was watching a film. This this like really long sort of cinema verite Dogma ninety five, just no cuts, just <laughs> you will watch this shit for hours and you will you will soak it in. It's like Lars von Trier presents. Yeah, because it was it was just fascinating because there was just all this stuff happening and I couldn't understand why it was happening or what it was. And it was just, I just remember feeling really fascinated by it. It was entrancing. Huh. Well, listeners, yeah, if, if you guys have anything similar, uh, I would love to know about it. Uh, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is, is the place to send it because that is, that is really, really interesting. Mm. I wasn't prone to seeing little people. I wasn't one of those chi- children that had an imaginary friend either. Well, you know. We didn't need one in, living in a haunted house, but this was in my grandparents' <laughs> house. So, so um, we didn't, uh, you know, like I said, there was never anything that happened in that house, ever. Well, you know, we, we've talked so much before on the show about this notion that there are places that are haunted and there are people who are haunted and it can sort of manifest in any number of ways, but mm. I, I, you know, it, it does seem like you're one of those people who sort of, and I think like me, I'm, I think I'm to a lesser degree, but I think you're one of those people who are drawn to these places and these experiences mm. and they in turn, I think are drawn to you. Yeah. I mean, that's probably why I get so frustrated that I've lived in very boring, <laughs> boring houses for the last best part of 25 years. Cause, um, you know, other than those weird aromas we got at the, the previous house, there was nothing weird happened there or feeling unsettled and my previous properties before that, there was nothing. I mean, since I've lived in Sheffield, I've lived in one house that was quite, um, there was something in there that was, that was quite um, nasty. And, and there were three of us that lived there. We, we lived together when I worked at the lead mill and we all worked together as well. And we all were pushed physically down the stairs from the top. Oh, Jesus. So, um, yeah. And I mean, one of the guys woke up one day and his, his duvet basically wrapped itself around his arms and his legs. And he was like trying, fighting to get out, going, help, help. We were like, what's going on here? <laughs> Ran in and he was basically looked like he was wrestling his duvet. <laughs> like, oh yeah. Good night, mate. And he's like, no, really? I don't know what's happened. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> well, you know, we've talked a little bit and we've never really kind of gotten deeply into your personal life on the show, but I know that you kind of went through a long period where you were kind of distracted by things. Yes. And I, and I kind of wonder if, cause we've talked also about like, you know, how you, you dream now that you've stopped smoking. Yes. <laughs> and I, I just kind of wonder if, you know, certain choices in our life pull us off the path we're meant to be on mm. and that can maybe affect our ability to 
to detect these things, or, or maybe we're just not being drawn to the places where we need to be to have the experiences we need to have, you know? Oh yeah, very much so. I think, I think it's one of those things where I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in the fact that there are, there are so many reports about children who have imaginary friends and see things. And as, as people grow up, they tend to grow out of these things. Yeah. And I think that's maybe a lot of it is imagination, but I find it very odd that sometimes children will say extremely unsettling things about situations that they could have no real comprehension of. Cause often the excuse is given is, Oh, well they must have overheard a conversation sure. about something and, and have simply adapted it into, into repeating it in a different type of way. But I find that once again, that's one of those catch all excuses that when you put certain experiences under some scrutiny, I don't think they, they pan out that well. Um, and it is odd that I think for a lot of people, I know we, we talk about, there's a story we mentioned later on where someone's in a very difficult relationship and, and something occurs. And I'm a big believer in, in, negative energy can sometimes manifest itself in regards to, to sort of firing up a haunting. Oh, absolutely. So um, it's, it's a very interesting subject. And I think sometimes life stops us from really seeing what's going on around us. And it's only when we find calm or clarity in our lives and things settle down that perhaps we realize that our minds are still open. We just don't have as much noise going on. Yeah. And I think that's, it sort of goes towards what I'm saying about being kind of lured off the path. You oh, know, I've always been lured. <laughs> yeah, that's it, right? <laughs> you, I mean, you're lured off the path and, and going off the path kind of means that you're sort of, um, you're not doing, again, you're not doing the shit that, that is sort of benefits you the most. Mm. And consequently your head just fills up with bullshit. Yes. And I think it kind of separates you from your, the better parts of yourself and, and mm. the, and then makes it harder for, yeah, for you to, to have those have those, those connections. Like, like, honestly, I, when we first started the show a couple of years ago, you know, we were in a haunted building and, and all kinds of weird shit would happen. And I know people would say, oh, you, you know, you guys are making it up. Or I would say, mm. I would connect a lot of things to personal experiences and people would say, oh, Brennan's lying. He's making that shit up. Or even, you know, Ian's lying. He's making that shit up. But the thing is, we had just had really unexpectedly haunted lives. Mm. But what I found is over the course of this last year, basically since the pandemic hit, um, that I, it's just like crunched it right down. Yeah. And I think it's because I, I know for a fact, like my own head, I've just got so much static in my head from all this shit going on. Hmm. It's only been probably in the last couple, last month, maybe that I've started to have maybe like some paranormal senses again, because it would, it would come back a little bit and then it would go because it, yeah. it would just get crowded out by the fuzz. I think it is an aspect that everybody needs to be more open and, and talk about. And, you know, as, as we've had conversations and some people may not know this, you know, my life reached, you know, a point just over three years ago where it was just, you know, awful. But, you know, I'm not going to say, oh, look at me, aren't I amazing? But th th from that point on where I, I mean, hit I mean, you're, you're pretty bottom, great. I just, <laughs> you know, from hitting rock bottom, what I've then embraced and accepted and developed is that I am weird and I need to embrace my weirdness and I am so much happier for being the person I, I should have been a long time ago. And yep. I've achieved more in the last three years from hitting that point 
that I'm not saying that you have to get to that point to realize your true potential. But for me, that was the, that was the line in the sand where I went enough is enough and I need to fix me. As you say, it's been an upward trajectory since there. I mean, that's sort of about the time I knew you through social media, mm. but I didn't really know you, um, know you until you started the podcast. Mm. And, you know, I've seen you kind of progress and grow and, and, and it's such a rapid rate, you know, it's been, it's been really cool. Mm. And again, I think it's because you've, uh, you've been able to embrace who you are, like it's, and what you like. And it's, again, it's, it's fucking fantastic. I think it's, I think it's wonderful. And I, you know, when you tell me that the, the, and I'm, I'm leaving all this shit in the show. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, it's good. It's good. I, I think conversations like this are important to have, you know, yes. I, I've avoided, I've avoided, I've avoided them for various reasons, you know, by and large, mm-hmm. um, since, since December, but fuck it. When I hear that your show's listenership, you know, has like tripled in, what is it like a year or something? Just yeah, from the start of the pandemic in March. Yeah, I'm I'm fucking thrilled. That's that is a fantastic thing because you you deserve that success. You're good at what you do. You're committed to it, and you do the work. And that is th- those things. You know, in a perfect world, that shit would always be rewarded. But the simple fact is, it's not always the case. Yeah. And so when I hear that things are working as they should, and someone who is good at what they do and is committed and does the work is actually getting rewarded by having their message out there. That is so fucking great. Hmm. And folks, if you take anything away from this conversation, take that away, you know, just be true to yourself and shit will eventually happen. And and it may not be, you know, it may not be fortune and fame. I mean, mind you, Paul and I were talking off air about how shitty fame is. (laughs) Um, Not that either of us are famous, but we know people who are, and it's not a great deal for them. Yeah. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah, exactly. But, um, you know, like good things come when you're honest with yourself, when you accept yourself. And, and I know that's something I've, I've still struggled with, you know, Mm -hmm. I still struggle with figuring out exactly who the fuck I am. Yeah. You know, and what the fuck I'm doing. And, and, um, but certainly the more I've kind of allowed myself to be creative and to explore things, you know, I, I've been happier, you know, but, um, yeah. So if if you take anything away from the story, take that. And, uh, this is as good a place as as any to stop. Now now you're gonna have all this in your head and you got to go on to the next story, folks. Like this is going to be super weird. Because for us, (laughs) you know, we're going to hit stop. I'm going to take a sip of my coffee. We're going to chat for a few minutes about Loki. Uh, but for you, you're just going to the next story. So you're going to, maybe you need to pause it, have a breath, think about Loki. It's a good show. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So good. Owen Wilson, man. Who knew? The Lizard from Tina. First off, I've just discovered your show this week, and I've already binged a number of episodes. As a Manitoban born and raised, I particularly love hearing stories on your podcast that take place in my home province. I guess that's what's inspired me to share this story, which actually belongs to my mother. In the late 90s, my family moved to a small town in rural Manitoba. It was the epitome of a fresh start. The street itself was completely brand new, as was the lot in the house. I was about seven when we moved in and lived there until I was a teenager. The house was a beautiful little bungalow on the edge of town with high ceilings, big windows, and a massive backyard that backed out onto the woods. Well, that's your first mistake. The house had three bedrooms on the main floor and two guest rooms in the basement. If you entered the main hallway from the living room, you would find first my bedroom, then the twins' bedroom, then the bathroom, and finally my parents' bedroom around the corner. There was also a small linen closet at the very end of the hall, directly facing the living room. 
It's not the topic of this story, but I distinctly remember that our dogs would often stare at the closed closet door at night. Ears pricked. Anyways. My parents were asleep in their room when the incident occurred. My mother says it was just like any other night. She brushed her teeth, changed into her pajamas, turned on the TV. Everyone in my house prefers to sleep with the TV on. I, I actually do too. And crawled into bed. She fell asleep easily. Around 2 or 3 in the morning, she says she remembers waking up to the sensation of the mattress dipping at the edge of the bed. She describes it as feeling the weight of someone sitting or kneeling there. She opened her eyes, looked down towards her feet, and nearly convulsed with terror. An all-black figure was perched at the end of her bed. She was frozen, paralyzed with fear as it stared at her. She says she will never forget the thing's eyes, like big white circles, and its mouth, a slice of bright red. And then it moved. It was almost lizard-like how it moved. It scuttled up her body. It pressed her down with an immense weight. It kept coming until she was face to face with it. Those white, circular, blank eyes and that red mouth moving closer and closer. She finally was able to scream and scramble backwards in bed, squeezing her eyes shut and pressing up against the headboard. That's when my father woke up. He apparently felt her thrashing around beside him and sat up to ask her what was wrong. When he spoke, she says she opened her eyes again and the thing was gone. She was practically sitting on top of the headboard, but all around her she could see nothing but their blurry bedroom. Why blurry? Well, without her glasses, my mom's eyesight is about as bad as it gets, short of being legally blind. I'm talking, they didn't even really make contact lenses in her prescription at the time that this incident happened. She takes off her glasses to go to sleep at night, so if she were to wake up, logically we know that she wouldn't be able to see at all. But inexplicably, that night she said she could see the thing crawling up her body as plain as day. So, was it a dream? Or did that thing make certain she could perceive it, astigmatism be damned? Afterwards, my mother went on to have a few similar experiences like this one, but none were quite as frightening. And all of the experiences abruptly stopped when my parents split up and my mother moved my siblings and I to another town. I came to the realization much later in life just how menacing of a presence my father was in the house. He caused a lot of harm to my mother and to the family over the years. Dark and damaging things I won't get into. His toxicity was the reason for the divorce and the reason our family has had to seek trauma counseling. One more thing. When my mother was 19, she'd gone and gotten a reading from a psychic in Winnipeg. She claims a psychic told her that she had a guardian angel watching over her, possibly her grandmother. My mother has always strongly believed this is true and still does to this day. So, if that thing that visited my mother that night was real, who was it and what did it want? I've got a theory. At first glance, most people would probably agree that the creature seemed malevolent. But what if we're wrong? What if instead, this was my mother's guardian angel, assuming the form of a terrifying figure, and trying to frighten my mom out of an abusive, dangerous situation? Maybe it's a huge stretch to think that it was a guardian angel putting on a scary disguise that night. And yet, if you think about it, the odds of a random malevolent being showing up in a brand new home on a brand new lot on a brand new street seem even less likely. No harm ever came to my mother because of her experiences, and she's only ever experienced them laying in bed next to my father. To me, it seems like the guardian angel theory could hold water, or at the very least, maybe this was my mother's subconscious urging her to get the hell out of Dodge. 
But if I'm right, there's just one more problem. Who or what was spooking our dogs from the closet at the end of the hall? Anywho, if you two have other theories about my mother's brush with the paranormal, I'd love to hear them. Take care. And so I, I have some thoughts, but I wanted to hear what you had to say first, Paul. I know I referred to it earlier on, but I think sometimes when you're in a situation where there is such a level of toxicity, sometimes maybe that manifests itself as something that was experienced by her mother. Oh, okay. So you think it's sort of a, something attracted to the toxicity or just sort of a visual manifestation of that environment? I think it may be something that was attracted to it. And mm. um, I mean, I've spoken to several parapsychologists who are of the opinion that energy and stress can create an environment that is attractive or can create such a thing. Maybe it entices right. them. Maybe it's the energy that feeds off them. And that's what brings them out. But also, just because your house is new, that where it's built isn't, who's to say that just because the house is new and the estate is new and the street is new, then it may be, but the land isn't. The land's always been there. Who's to say that the house hasn't been built where something existed anyway? Yeah, and this is where I think modern, uh, sort of a lot of the modern um, entertainment-related parts of ghost hunting and the paranormal genre generally have really done a lot of harm because I think they've, they've fixed it in your, people's heads that, oh, well, you know, activity is related to the history of a house mm. or a property. Oh, you know, the this street was the site of the great shoot 'em up bank robbery of... 1806. Mm -hmm. and, and so therefore, you know, it's got a cursed history, but we forget that the natural world had its own paths before we ever started paving, you mm. know, and we forget that the natural world has a, a life all its own. And, and so I, I agree. I think um, it's very likely that if this is connected to the place, it doesn't matter that the place is new. It's yeah. connected to what was there yeah. to yeah. the land. I have this sort of theory is, 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 it's definitely not a theory. It's not even a hypothesis. It's a <laughs> dumb thing I think about when I'm high. But um, I think that in some cases, we have built our roads or our paths along pre-existing ones that we did not realize we were following. Mm. You, know, you know how sort of everyone kind of knows to follow a game trail? Yeah. Just because it's, it's the easiest route. And even if you don't necessarily realize you're on a game trail, you're just following a path. And yeah. I, I have this sort of, again, wild notion that in the modern world, so not, not all of our roads, because we, we have so many fucking roads, but I think early roads, if you look at like early railroads and shit like that, I think they followed a path of least resistance, mm. not just physically, but spiritually. Mm. And I think that's why we tend to see haunting along these things, along the railroads, along old paths, mm. you know, and people will say, oh, it's because, you know, the such and such railroad used to come down here and therefore it's the spirit of that. I don't necessarily think that's the case. You know, I, I know um, one of our listeners is, is uh, I've, I've mentioned this before, but they work for the railroad and part of their run takes them, or used to, I don't know what they're doing these days, but um, part of their run takes them through and around Donner Pass. And they've said a number of times that up in that, that, wilderness, especially in the winter. And this is a place where you're way the hell off in, in the boondocks. There's absolutely no way there's going to be a single person by themselves out there. They just, it, it, they would die. Yeah. But you will see things out there and you will see people out there. And I don't think it's any coincidence that they're seeing it from the railroad hmm. because I think that railroad 
was built along a path that we didn't understand was already there. Mm-hmm. So that's that's sort of my my thinking, and 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 I I agree about the toxicity too, and that's something I I I told this person separately. Um, you know, I I had a friend or have a friend rather, um, haven't seen him in a long time, but that's because the pandemic sucks. But they're how can I put this? I, I I've talked about this on the show before, but I can't remember how I've, how I phrased it because I want to preserve the privacy. But um, they they had someone in their life who was struggling with opiate addiction, mm. and this meant they started keeping pretty rough company. Yeah. And so what they really noticed is when this person came home, they were trailing things back with them. Yeah. And this person was helping clean out that house. And this is, I believe while the person was still alive, but they were, they were helping clean out that person's house uh, just, just to be helpful. And they spotted something in some ways, I think similar to what, Tina has described here, they, they described kind of a, almost like a lizard-like entity coming down the stairs. I remember it being green and scaly hmm. and coming down the stairs on all fours. And I don't recall if it eventually just fa- phased out or if it went out the door, but um, it, it most certainly was attached to this person they cared about who had developed this addiction. And once that person passed on, these things stopped coming around. A Spirited Life, from Chantel. I wanted to share with you something that happened to me when I was in my late teens. I have to give you a little backstory first, though. I was always considered a sensitive person to energies and feelings. I would instinctively know if some place was safe, or if I should stay clear. Only when the other person's feelings overwhelmed mine did I find myself getting into trouble, and I much later learned that I was an empath. That knowledge probably would have saved me from a lot of misery. As a kid of seven, we moved to a 120-year-old farm. There was something in the dirt basement that had been original to the log house. Anytime I went down there, I felt a presence, and as I walked up the stairs, I could feel it directly behind me, like a pressure on my back. What is unfortunate in all this is that when I innocently voiced these sensitivities, I was ridiculed and teased by my parents. I eventually learnt that I should keep this part of myself hidden because it was wrong. Flash forward to my teens, and we've since moved from that farm into a relatively new home in the city. I was still seeing things, and sometimes I would let it slip out, like the time I was at my friend's house and asked her about her new cat I just saw go down into the basement. He was black and white and really cute. My friend and her parents looked at me like I was insane and burst out laughing. They didn't have a cat. The next two events happened when I was 17 or 18, and I was just finishing high school. The first incident, I went to a house party at a friend's place. Underage drinking, not a parent in sight. Good times, right? It was until someone brought out a Ouija board. I was against using the board but the drunken majority prevailed and they started trying to conjure the spirit of Emile Zola because one of my friends was going to study French literature. They started getting answers from someone claiming to be Zola's mother. As I stood off to the side watching, I all of a sudden got a terrible feeling that whatever was coming through that board was evil and I immediately left the room. I was shaking and upset 
and left the party. I walked home alone, very late at night, through a muddy field desperate to get away from that energy. I never mentioned it to anyone. The second incident occurred when one of my classes went on a meditation retreat to the country. At lunch, a couple of friends decided we would eat our lunch in the cemetery across the road from the centre. I wasn't too keen on it and thought it might be disrespectful, but I was more worried about looking bad in front of my few friends. They chose a spot and leaned up against a man's headstone, made some jokes and we had lunch. It didn't feel right, but I ignored the feeling and laughed it off. After these events, things got terrifying and, as I stated in my background story, I was completely on my own in handling this. There was no way I could talk to anyone in my family or even my friends about what I was experiencing. I was already the butt of their jokes. It would start when I would be sound asleep in my bed and be awakened by the feeling of my bed shaking. My heart pounding, I would sit up in my dark room and I could see the form of a person standing in the corner at the foot of my bed. When I say I could see them, it was because the shape of the person was blacker than the darkness of my room. It would just stand there and I could feel it stare even if I couldn't see a face. The most terrifying part was I could hear breathing, heavy, rasping breathing. I would put on the bedside lamp and nothing would be there. I would spend the rest of the night awake in bed, terrified. This happened once or twice a week for months until we moved and I thought I was free. When I left for university in the fall, I struggled with depression and anxiety, which just became progressively worse over the years. Even after I started my career, things didn't improve. It got to the point of seeking professional help for thoughts of harming myself. I was in so much emotional pain. What blew my mind was that after years of medication which did nothing but numb me out, at the age of 47, I met a progressive therapist aware of my empathic state, who felt the depression was not all my own. In the strangest moment of my life, I was, help I was helped to cast off the dark spirit I had been carrying on my shoulders and back. I was able to identify who the spirit was. It was George from the cemetery where we had eaten lunch at 17. A misogynistic, violent alcoholic who hadn't let go in death and was angry and latched on to me. He had been magnifying and compounding any natural tendencies towards feelings of depression and anxiety I had and tormenting me. I can honestly say that I felt the moment he left and I was a bit sceptical of carrying around an evil spirit for 30 years. Was he the shadow tormenting me in my bedroom at night, wearing me down by preventing me from sleeping? I'll never know. I'm just glad to be able to send him packing. I've since learned to protect myself from picking up spirit hitchhikers and telling those that get too close to fuck off. And that is a wonderful place to be. Yes. I mean, they're, they're, no matter what is happening in your life, having the power to just tell someone to fuck off is is like having a magic wand. <laughs> but it's just, it's so great. And yes. I, it, to find that therapist is yeah. kind of a minor miracle. Because to the best of my knowledge, that is really not part of any, we'll call it like sort of uh, standard practice. Yeah. 
you know, it, and so I'm so glad that you were able to find someone to help you cast that shit out because that, that, that is a, that just sounded like a nightmare. Mm. It kind of reminded me too of, um, the story about our listeners who were trying to play a game in that cemetery. Yes. And, uh, you know, they were just, you know, cordially invited to leave mm. when they rolled a one, what, something like 17 times in a row. Yes. Or four, 14 times, 14 times in a row. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously the the incident in regards to the Ouija board is, is something that brought a wry smile to my face. As, as, as someone who, <laughs> when we used to do our Ouija board, I mean, I must have done it, I don't know, hundreds of times. We used to do ours in an old embalming hut in a graveyard. Oh, wow. No half measures for Paul Bestel. No. So, uh, and obviously when you're in a graveyard, you've got a, um, you've got a whole series of headstones with names on it. So we had a, a, a whole procession of, of people from the, cause obviously this church, cause this was the church that was across the road from where I grew up in the haunted right. house. Cause the old haunted house was the old vicarage to this church. And, um, so we would often go around there and, you know, I'm, I'm very skeptical. I know enough about Ouija boards to know that the majority of the time it's, you know, it's, it's unconscious feelings that, and, and energy that is propelling the tumbler or the glass around. But right. I've, I've had a handful of very odd or witnessed a handful of very odd situations in regards to Ouija boards that make me think that maybe there is a little bit more to it than just unconscious energy propelling these glasses around boards. So what's a, what's a, for instance? Um, I think one of my favorite ones was we once got someone who claimed, well, because this, the other thing about Ouija boards is, yeah, if you do get something, most of the time they just lie, don't they? <laughs> Whoever they are, whatever it is, they're just lying shits. Um, and he claimed to be, well, we, we obviously, like I say, we would go and get names and we got this name of this person called Paul Neal. And Paul Neal claimed to be a warlock from the okay. uh, from the 17th century. And um, he would regale us uh, about the amount of children he killed and skinned, um, which was a, a deeply disturbing conversation because most of the people who I was doing these sessions with didn't really have an interest in witchcraft and warlocks and things like that and weren't aware of how allegedly violent warlocks, because warlocks always seem to get a, a better press than witches for some reason. And warlocks in my experience tend to be far, far worse. So it was very interesting because once again, you go into that, well, how could anybody else know about a warlock's modus operandi in regards to what they would do and why they would do that? You know, yeah, amongst a group of kids who grew up in a pit village in the 1980s. Yeah, that's fascinating. So, Interesting. Yeah, that, was, that was a good one. I mean, we had some very, I mean, we had one particular incident that's, that stayed with me 30 odd years, which was a ghost of someone who had drowned whilst on holiday with his girlfriend at Lake Windermere in the Lake District and wanted to come back and possess one of the people that was doing the session because his girlfriend had fallen in love with his best friend after he died and he wanted to come back to kill them both. Jesus Christ. Now, even as a work of fantasy, for a 17-year-old kid to pretend that, 
I find that remarkable because that person never ended up working in fiction. So yeah, that's a very, hell of a thing. You know, that was a very peculiarly creepy story, and it was one of those where the, whatever it was, it just wouldn't fuck off. <laughs> it was one yeah. of those. Good night, God bless you. No, <laughs> good night, God bless. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you think about it, you, you've clawed your way back from the land of the dead in order to murder someone you're not <laughs> this is not easy it's not like catching a bus you you, you are determined yeah these uh, punk ass yeah. kids think they can just shut you off not a chance yeah yeah and it and it and it's quite addictive as well when you've got shit like that going off so yeah i remember that because it took him about because that was one of them where i was just i was i wasn't i was just watching not supervising just watching and uh they were at it for like an hour trying to get rid of him wow the addictive thing, I think, is really interesting because there was an incident. Um, trying, I want to be very vague about this, but I, I, someone I knew started using a pendulum. They saw something online about using a pendulum to like ask questions, and this person is really interested in contacting, you know, so to say, the other side. You know, they're yeah. really into this kind of stuff, and I think it's not good to put much stock in what the dead think. Yes. You know, like I, if you're asking a psychic, well, tell me, you know, what, what does grandpa think? Like, should I do this or this? For example, I, I think it's as bad because it, it's, you're sort of putting off your decision-making onto someone else and yes. you don't know really who that someone else is if, if, if you are getting results. And so this, this person got a pendulum. And, and of course, as we all know, if you're divining, the last thing you should be doing is divining alone. Hmm. It's not good. You, you're very vulnerable. Yeah. And this person was divining alone. They were using this pendulum and they were just asking it questions. And it reached a point where I got a little bit concerned. Mm. And, you know, we, we went out, I took them out for a meal and I said, hey, let's, let's have a chat about this. And um, we got into almost a, a screaming fight. Like, the, like this person was, was, was almost ready. They were crying. They were so mad at me. Mm. But I, I just couldn't, they, they were, everything was going through the pendulum. Everything was being asked of the pendulum first. Do I yeah. do this? Do I do that? Mm. And I, I just said, you know, do you not see where this goes? Do you not understand how insidious this is? Because you know, this person was a pretty decisive person before all this. Yeah. But all of a sudden, well, well, let's check the pendulum. What does the pendulum say? Let's ask the pendulum this thing. And it, it was just fascinating to watch them get sucked into it so wholly and completely. Mm. And again, this is a very strong person. This is not someone who I would... Uh, consider weak or easily led, but they were just, yeah, just in like that. So when you say addictive, I, I agree. It can be very addictive. Yeah. Cause you know, if you're with your friends and you're having a scary time, it's exciting as well. Sure. You know, it gets your adrenaline flowing. And if you're, a, you know, a bored teenager sat in an embalming hut in, <laughs> <laughs> in rundown Northern England in the 1980s, doing a Ouija board and talking to the dead is probably the most exciting thing that's ever happened in your life. Yeah, well, don't live in northern... No, no, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> don't do the Ouija board in a graveyard in an embalming hut. With Paul. Well, you can do it with me. I'll protect you. Oh, well, I'm, I'm counting on it because I'm going to be coming there eventually. <laughs> Thanks again for sharing that, Chantel. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with our Ghost Force shoutouts.
there, listeners. Before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button, I promise you this isn't an ad. We wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health. On this show, I've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety, because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do, there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help. And when you start to feel like there's no help, it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help. We're not going to try and talk you out of self-harming right now, because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now, and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it, and make a phone call, or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be, it's never too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is one 456 Four five six six. In the USA, the number to call is one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. In the UK, the number to call is one one six one two three, or text shout. That's S H O U T to eight five two five eight. In Australia, the number to call is one three one 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 four. However bad shit seems, it will pass, and no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you, and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing, please know that we've both been where you are, and there is a way back to the world. Take care. And we're back. Thanks, as always, to the rest of the team, Luke Greensmith, Anthony Germain, and Sarah Kent, for everything they do to help keep this big old machine working. And, uh, of course, thank you, my friend, the great Paul Bestel, the paranormal Johnny Carson, host of the Mysteries and Monsters podcast. What's coming up on, this, on Eminem, Paul? So we've dove back into the world of Bigfoot this week with the wonderful Amy Boo. Um, having a good chat about all things hairy in the woods. So that's a, a good one. We've got um, Stephen Bassett's coming back on, covering some more UFO talk. Um, I've got the wonderful British parapsychologist Evelyn Hollow joining me as well, coming up shortly. And uh, the return of Nick Redfern in the next few weeks. Oh, fantastic. Those all sound like really great guests. I know I was, we were talking a little bit off air. I heard a little bit of the Amy Bew show. Uh, mm. when I was putting it together for you. And uh, that is going to be a, a great show. I got to say the, the Olympic Project show is one of my recent favorites because I'm, I'm, as I've said before, I'm a little bit of a Bigfoot skeptic. And I know, terrible. But uh, the Olympic Project people, that was a great fucking conversation and really got me to think about the topic in a way I, in a way I hadn't in a long time. Yeah. So yeah. Make, sure, make sure to check out those episodes. Amy's got a couple of witness accounts because obviously she does a lot of field research and interviewing and uh, she's got a couple of very creepy encounters that she regales us with on this one. So one of my particular favorites as well. Oh, fantastic. And where can everyone find you? You can find us across all social media platforms uh, by looking for Mysteries and Monsters or via the website, which is mysteriesandmonsters.com. You can find me online. I'm on uh, Instagram and Twitter as largely the truth. You can find the show on Twitter and Facebook, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok as Ghost Story Guys. And we're on Instagram as the 
ghost story guys. And like I said before, if you've got a story you want to share, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is a place to send it. Or you can call us at one 588 6920 That's the ghost line. You can leave your comment or story as one or a series of voicemail messages. Or you can text us at 925-553-4789. And like we said at the top of the show, our patrons are the lifeblood of this operation. It truly would not happen without our patrons. And if you want to join their ranks to get bonus shows, physical rewards, all kinds of cool shit, head on over to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. That's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. There's a lot of cool shit. The most recent episode that I dropped for patrons, and this is patron exclusive, is an episode of the uh, completely separate paranormal podcast I do called The Sunken Library, which is just for patrons, and that's usually anywhere from, Christ, 30 minutes to this one's, I think, 65 minutes long. (laughs) And it details my personal connection to the state of Pennsylvania, which began long before I ever went there and appears to have its roots um, in the past. So it's a... to me, it was really interesting to take a deep dive back into that because it was a listener request. People were asking for it, and I had never really collected all those experiences in one place. So that was, that was pretty cool. But um, in addition to all that stuff, if you become a patron at the $20 level and above, you become a member of Ghost Force. That's right. Every two weeks, we'll thank the members of Ghost Force here in this voice because I've committed to it, and now that's what I'm doing. The members of Ghost Force are Atham Saragon, Alisa Kupila, Amanda Strong, and Ramey, Ashley Marsha, Christopher Kunes, Dan Garrity, Danielle Harris, Emma Barheit, Eric Abel, Hannah Brown, Hannah Siemens, Ian Harrison, Jackie McFarland, Jeanette Patterson, Jean Cupertino, Jennifer Petty, Julia Lugubrius, Just Julie. Jenna Blackwelder Karen Kimberly Hansen Lumpy Rug Mark Samler Mary Rose WW Peer Gun 08.5 Rhonda Sheen and Richard Easby You are the few You are the proud You are Ghost Force Ooh Oh I like that Thanks <laughs> See, if you remember at twenty at twenty dollars and above, you get you get that, and I'm and we're gonna put that in as many shows as we can. So, uh, yeah, <coughs> yeah. Now, now Paul's dying, also. So again, thank you so so much, guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. Um, again, there's no there's no point in doing this without you guys, and you guys more than make it worth it. Uh, patrons, listeners, however it is you support the show, we we appreciate it. We all appreciate it, and you guys fucking rock. Our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter of Pizzanta Music. You can find him online uh, basically everywhere. Music is streamed. You search for Pizzanta Music. And I, I think I forgot to say congratulations to him and his, his lovely wife. They had a, a baby a couple months ago, Baby Eve. And so congratulations to those guys. Our story's theme is The Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. You can find them also everywhere you stream your tunes. That's Hexagram with two X's, not three. And Paul, is, as of course, has mentioned Duran Duran on this show a number of times. He has a certain, a certain uh, a Duran Duran credit system. This is how many times he's allowed to mention them. <laughs> and uh, Steve from Hexagram, his cover of The Chauffeur is stellar. Oh. And that is streaming, uh, again, everywhere you get your music. It's a great cover, and I, I recommend you check it out. Also, Really, I mean, anything Steve makes is fucking great. Mm. The single One Good Scare has got some fantastic guitar work on it. 
and their full-length album. I think it's the only full-length album they've released thus far, Crystal Lake. Very, very good. All, wherever you can stream your music. That's one of my favorite Duran Duran songs, but I will advise anybody that tries to watch it on YouTube to be very careful of which version of the video you watch, as one of them is rather adult-orientated. All right, let's talk off air. <laughs> to, to the point that when I watched it, I went, oh, I don't remember this version. Really? Oh, yes. Is it an official version, or is it just yes. someone who... Oh, really? It was done... Uh, because The Chauffeur is one of those songs because it's an album track and it's become a, a fan favourite over the years at concerts And because I think it's a B-side. It was released as a B-side originally. So it's always been a fan favourite at live shows. And then they did a, a, a video for it about 10, 15 years ago. Yes, very risque. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, if they did Girls on Film back in the 80s, I, I can't imagine what is acceptable to Duran Duran now. Oh, yes. It's a, bit, it's a bit further on than that. I'll say that. All right. Well, listeners, you got your homework for this week. <laughs> yeah, don't watch in front of the kids. We'll be back in two weeks with another show. But until then... Into the darkness we go. Woo. guy voice you can you don't have to i'll try there we go all right <laughs> <laughs> usually when i'm wandering around the house or i'm drunk i talk like that quite a lot <laughs> of course this is how i end up divorced yeah talking to the cats at two in the morning <laughs> on some food okay you're right we should go pee on the neighbor's front door again let's do it uh, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Oof, Jesus Christ, okay. <laughs> Gordon! Gordon Cole! What do you mean you're going to stay at your sister's house? She what? doesn't even live here. You can't take the car. Thankfully, she has her own, so when she leaves me, you know, as will happen, I'll still have my shitty Toyota. Her, her car is actually much nicer than mine. <laughs> He took a sucker punch at me, so I beat the shit out of him, and, and he did too. He... Yeah, it's a, it's a British tradition, the ability to be able to find somewhere secluded to uh, to urinate on a night out. <laughs> it's a real skill. Well, it was a skill I would have benefited from that night, but... Uh... <laughs> You're not wearing your predator cloak. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I thought I was. Uh... Uh, that, that predator cloak was made entirely of southern comfort and coke back in those days. You're saying this new place we've got the the lighting's really fucking weird. So, so if you turn turn the uh, the light on in the hall, it turns about half the house on. So oh, that's bizarre. So I had the light on in here where I'm recording, and it keep, kept going on and off. <laughs> it's like living with a fucking ghost. <laughs> well, the last house was full of hooks, and this one's got weird lights. So <laughs> so you're just you're you're essentially like slowly easing yourself into Hellraiser. <laughs> we have such sights to show you. I was just about to say that. The next, <laughs> your next door neighbor's going to introduce himself. He's going to be a bald man. We have such sights to show you. <laughs> now, there's a piece of fan art I want to see. Paul is Pinhead. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, I've got the head for it. <laughs> well, I was just thinking that. That's perfect. Yeah. Listeners, if I'm going to put this in the outtakes. If you draw Paul as Pinhead, if you can, if you can get it just quite right, we will put that on a T-shirt. Yeah, don't, don't encourage my daughter. She'll probably want to do that for Halloween now. That is brilliant. Uh, what's, what's her name again? Christy. 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 <laughs> Christy. Well, we're, it's, my, uh, <clears throat> it's my 50th next year. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're having an uh, 80s theme party. Oh, okay. And obviously Hellraiser was released in 87, so I suppose that counts. <laughs> there we go. Christy. Make it happen. Take pictures for me, okay? I'll send you a t-shirt. I'll send you a lot of stuff. Just, just take the pictures. Make it happen. <clears throat> Christy. I mean, you know what, man? If you are in a situation where you're just going to piss in a room, then you do it. You do it, my son. Christy. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park 